for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagge. One of the first voices you hear on this podcast would be that of Maureen Mo Cooper from 1999. She helped do the imaging for the podcast. That is her voice at the beginning of the show. And you're about to hear a lot more of her voice. Welcome to the show, Mo. Thank you, Jag. I'm so excited to be here. So you are one of the folks who didn't have that far to go when it came to coming to Syracuse University because you're a local gal, right? Yeah, I grew up in the metropolis of Central Square, which if you... um attended SU, you probably never made it up there, but we're about 20 minutes north of Syracuse. So I grew up listening to Z89. We definitely didn't have a great reception in Central Square. They have a better signal now since there have been so many upgrades. But back in the 80s, we had to do some antenna finagling to be able to listen, (laughs) but definitely knew all about the radio station, you know, before I went to SU and really... It was definitely a great learning experience for me in so many ways. Actually, listening to this podcast, you know, I thought I knew a lot about the history of WJPZ. I would never claim to know everything because 50 years is a long time and I wasn't around for all of that for sure. But I learned something right off the bat from your very first episode with Dr. Wright, and it really kind of blew me away. He was talking about Central Square and my high school, Paul V. Moore. We had a radio station Back, I remember when I was very young, some point in elementary school, we went on a tour of the high school and there was a radio station. And I remember seeing it. Of course, I didn't know I wanted to be in radio or anything then. But by the time I got to high school, that radio station was gone. (laughs) And I remember by then I did have an inkling. I like to talk a lot. You know, I knew I wanted to go into broadcasting. And (laughs) I remember thinking, oh, that would have been great. You know, I wish they hadn't given up this radio station. But I learned from Dr. Wright's story that by Paul V. Moore giving up that license with the FCC, that was actually what enabled WJPZ to get onto the FM dial. Ah. So it's kind of a full circle thing for me because I was really sort of thinking, man, if we had had a radio station in high school, I would have had, you know, even more of a leg up on being able to learn and start my broadcasting career. And then I look at it and kind of go, yeah, but... If my high school had never given that up and that license had not opened up and opened a, you know, a door for WJPZ to move to FM, WJPZ may never have made it to FM, might not have even, you know, survived. So this definitely affects my history, too. Do you remember maybe, you know, leaning out your bedroom window in Central Square with a coat hanger and picking up any of the other uh, alums when you were younger? (laughs) You know, we listened, but I didn't really pay that close of attention. And like I said, we didn't get a great signal for Z89. It was hit or miss in the suburbs back then. So I don't remember the personalities, but I do remember listening. You know, I remember the music and I remember just sort of that vibe of, you know, Z89 was cool because we all knew, you know, that it was college students and that, you know, maybe there was a I don't know, just that little bit of an underground sort of thing to it. So you knew, I would imagine, pretty young, you wanted to go to SU and get involved with JPZ, or how did that play out? 
I did. You know, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew myself, you know, I knew what I enjoyed and I really liked talking and I'm a very creative person. And I did the morning announcements at school every day. I was a lector at church. I had a lot of the tendencies, you know, but I didn't know. <laughs> so I was a broadcast journalism major and I actually started working in radio before Z89, before I ever got to SU. When I was still in high school, you know, I was getting ready to graduate. And so it was like springtime. And my mom was like, what are you going to do this summer? You know, and I was like, I don't know. And she said, well, you know, you're going to be a broadcaster. That's what you want to do. Why don't you write a letter? This was, yes, not, there was no email. This was sit down and type up a letter to every radio and TV station in Syracuse and see if you can get yourself a job or an internship or something for the summer. Okay. Yeah. And I was like, okay, nobody's going to want to talk to me. I'm just some kid. So I wrote a letter to every radio and TV station in Syracuse, a little resume that had nothing on it, really. And I got one phone call, (laughs) and that was Rich Lauber at WBBS, B104.7, which is still there. It's now owned by iHeart. At the time, it was owned by New City Communications, then became Cox Radio, then became eventually iHeart. So I got this call from Rich Lauber. He did Afternoon Drive, and he was the program director. And I couldn't believe it. When he called me, I knew the voice instantly, you know. (laughs) And he said, well, if you're interested, I have a job for you. And there's money, you know, it's not a lot, but it's a paying job. And so I started board opping at B when I was 17. I board opped the weekend satellite shows. They had a show on Saturday nights called Boot Scootin' Party and Nights. Came in on satellite from Nashville. There was no automation back then. Everything was carts and CDs. And so somebody always had to be at the studio to run the board. That was the first radio station I ever worked at. And I got on the air doing overnights during the holidays and stuff like that there. And so I was working there when I started at SU. So I immediately also started at WJPZ. But I worked both places pretty much the whole time that I was in college. Were you on the air at both? Yeah, I was actually at one point on the air on like four different radio stations in Syracuse at the same time. And I had different names on each. It was so confusing. How do you keep that straight? I had little cue cards I'd put up in front of me that said, my name is Raven Thorne on 89.1 The Pulse. And then I'd have another one that said, my name is Maureen Collins on Y94 FM. My name is, <laughs> they made me use a different name. And so I was on the air at B104.7, Y94 FM, Hot 107.9, and JPZ for a minute. Yeah. All right. So a moment ago, you referenced The Pulse. This is something I want to ask you about because you're the class of 99. So you saw both iterations of JPZ. Tell me about The Pulse and were you there for the changeover to The Pulse or just back to JPZ? I was there for the change to The Pulse, but I was not there when it changed back to Z89. So when I first started my freshman year, it was still Z89 and I was doing on-air stuff. Unlike most of the people that have been on your podcast, I, I never held an executive staff position at JPZ. Okay. I was just too busy. You know, I had another job and so I was... I definitely put in a whole lot of time there on air and I put in a lot of summer break and winter break time, which I definitely want to tell you a story about. Mm -hmm. And I just really, you know, honed my on air skills and learned, you know, the beauty of WJPZ is it is a safe place to make mistakes when you're a baby DJ. And (laughs) and that was what it was for me. You know, I mean, I just learned the ropes there and experimented and tried things and learned things without any risk of, you know, losing my job. You know, it was really learning responsibility and, you know, just learning the ropes. But yeah, I was there 
I wasn't a manager or anything. I was just a DJ. And so I learned a lot from Dan Austin and Jeff Wade. I was there actually when they were working on the imaging to flip it to the pulse. And that was where I really first fell in love with imaging, you know, where I learned about how they were getting a new voice guy and they were, you know, putting together the sweepers for the new station. And I really got to observe and learn that stuff as part of that. What was it like being there when you're flipping what was, you know, the traditional pop format or, you know, hotter pop format over to the alternative format? Take me inside the building. What was that like? I mean, at the time, that was, you know, for lack of a better word, it was trendy, you know? I mean, alternative and modern rock was such a big deal then. Mm -hmm. And I, I really think that it was a great learning experience for those guys who led the charge, you know? Like I said, what better place to learn how to do a format flip and make your mistakes and, you know, learn what works and what doesn't than in an environment like JPZ, you know, where you can experiment, you can try things. And if it doesn't work, it's not the end of the world for anybody, you know? Right. It was a lot of fun. We really, you know, we had fun with the music. It was a different vibe. But at that time, alternative rock was so mainstream that it kind of was a mainstream format, you know? Mm -hmm. And like I said, I didn't really know much about a lot of the political stuff that was going on behind the scenes, you know, I've heard on stories about the conservatorship and all the, you know, financial struggles and all that. I really didn't, I didn't know that much about that in the moment when I was there. For me, JPZ was just, it was just a lot of fun. It was just a place to go on the air and have fun and learn how to interact with callers and learn the equipment and, you know, learn the different aspects of the different departments. It was great, you know, and I'm a creative person and I learned really at JPZ that I didn't want to do any of that. I didn't want to manage people and <laughs> I didn't want to worry about the money side or go out and try to sell that. It's just not me. But I really did fall in love with imaging, production and being on the air. That is great to hear. Okay, so you finish up in 1999. Tell me, or was it before that you started going pro, so to speak? Yeah, I got a full-time job at Cox during my junior year. I was production director for... Hot 107.9 at the time, WWHT. And so yeah. I was still doing shifts at Z right up until when I was part-time. And then when they gave me the full-time job and I was still a full-time student, something had to go. And for me, unfortunately, that was WJPZ. So it was during my junior, early in my junior year when I stopped working at the station. And then it was shortly after that when Harry and Dina and everybody flipped it back to Z89. And I was there, I remember listening and calling Harry and being like, hey, congratulations, you know, this is great. And so I was around, but I, I was just working full time over at HOT. So I'm going to be uh, selfish for a second and tell you that you've given me a bit of a sigh of relief because I've been doing the math since I first met you at a banquet. I'm like, well, if she was 99 and I was 02, why don't I remember her from the station? Why is it that I don't remember meeting her prior to a banquet? Well, that explains it, because I was a freshman when you were a senior. You weren't there anymore, so I feel better now. You actually weren't there, so I did actually meet you for the first time at a banquet. But I want to tell you some of the, the history of WJPZ that a lot of the students maybe don't even know about is how we kept the radio station on the air all summer and during winter and spring breaks when everybody went home. Right. You referenced the story about that. Let's hear it. Yeah, so... During my freshman and sophomore year, I stepped up to help run the station during those breaks because I was local. And it was quite an undertaking. I mean, there was no such thing as automation or computerized, you know, there was no 
systems like we use now in radio. Everything was carts and CDs, and there was a live operator in the studio 24 hours a day, seven days a week, holidays, weekends, overnight, you name it. And it was a real struggle to do that over the summer. And what we used to do is in the spring, we would do a big recruitment event with local high schools, and we would bring in local high school students and train them in the spring and early summer. And then when the students went home, you know, that's how we got through the summer. And then some of those students would still be around and they would help us out during the winter breaks too. You know, we had a license. We couldn't just turn the radio station off if there was nobody available. It was right. It was a struggle. And I, I managed the on-air schedule and the programming side during some of those breaks And that was really, like I said, where I learned what I don't want to do as a career, because I really, (laughs) to this day, you know, I mean, I'm, I still work in imaging and production and on air, but I have no desire to be a program director or general manager. It's just, I really love being creative and it's hard to do that in a corporate environment when you're in a managerial position. It just, for me, it sucked the life out of me. I didn't like it, but it was a great time for me to learn that at 18 or 19 to experience, you know, radio management and then, you know, the different sides and figure out this is what I really like, you know, it's what I'm going to go for. But yeah, we kept it going on those breaks. And I trained a lot of local kids that, you know, I, I did enjoy that. I enjoyed the teaching part and the training. But there was some times in the holidays and the overnights when it was really tough to keep the station on the air. And I think it was probably my freshman year there was a Christmas break where I was left in charge mm-hmm. and I pulled everybody out of the woodwork that I could think of. And I got down to the wire in the couple of days before Christmas and I had nobody. I had nobody, Jag. I, I could not pull anybody that was willing to work overnight, Christmas Eve into Christmas Day and then Christmas Day. Sure. And so I, for the first time publicly, I'm going to tell you the story. I created the first ever automation system that was ever heard on WJPZ in 1995. Oh, oh let's hear it. Okay. How'd and you do I have it? I never talked about this. Mina thinks that she had the first automation, the first voice tracking, but no, no, no. <laughs> My parents had one of those cassette players in their like living room hi-fi system. It was RCA plugs on the back and it would automatically flip from one side of the tape to the other and play continuously. Okay. So I didn't tell anybody, but I went in the production room, just like I do today. I went in the production room and I produced up, like, I think the longest cassette you could get at the time was 120 minutes. Yes, sounds right. Yeah. And I produced, you know, 120 minutes of rock-leaning Christmas music with sweepers and some legal IDs sprinkled in there. And, you know, I, I made myself a reel, basically, and I put it onto cassette. And I unplugged that cassette player and I went to the station. The last (laughs) guy that I had scheduled was getting off at 6 p.m. Christmas Eve. And, you know, I kind of walked in and I I said, all right, I'll take it from here. Yeah, go home. Merry Christmas. And I plugged that thing in and turned it on and left it through Christmas Day. And I kept listening. You know, I would check on it every once in a while to make sure the station was still (laughs) on and that the cassette was still flipping back and forth. And then I went back in at, you know, like uh, 6 p.m. Christmas Day when I had somebody ready and I went in and, and unplugged it and no one ever knew except me. Well, and now everybody listening to this. So. Oh, so you even hit it from the person who was on after, like you went like you'd been on there before. I hit it from everybody. I was like, I felt so bad that I couldn't find anybody to do the shift and that I, you know, it was Christmas Eve. And so I that's just what I did. 
I don't think I told anybody. So we are breaking news on this podcast today, Mo. Uh, yeah, yeah. From 1995, yeah, we're breaking news. Okay, so let me flash forward to five years or six years later, because I have a very similar story, if you'll indulge me for a second. <laughs> yeah. The 2000-2001 school year, we were in this decrepit house on Ostrom Avenue while they revamped the studio. And I was VP of Ops. We actually split up Christmas break between three of us. The first third of the break, Paul Chambers, our then GM, was in charge of the station. I came back over the second part of the break, which included Christmas, and then Brett Bossy came in uh, the third part of the break to finish it out until all the SU students got back. So those of us that were in charge were in charge of the high school kids, you know, whose parents somehow let them come into this creepy old off-campus house to run the board, but I ran into the same problem. I had Christmas. I'm like, hey, I'm the Jewish kid. I'll take Christmas. It's fine. And so... We were at a really, really small staff of high schoolers at that point. So I probably the second, now that I know you're first, the second piece of automation that we know <laughs> of in the station's history, I had a five disc CD changer. So before I came back to run it over Christmas, I burned five 60 minute CDs with songs and imaging on them and a legal ID to start each CD. At the end of the hour, you hear, at least I had a way to automate the overnights, and I only had to staff the station from 6 to midnight. That's way more sophisticated than what I had, yep. Yeah, but I wasn't as careful as you, because uh, one of the big songs at the time was Stan by Eminem, and I did not realize that one of the CDs contained the album cut and not the radio edit. So the five CDs, once I learned that, had to become four, because I couldn't play the dirty version of the Eminem song on the air. And then, at what point... The CD player broke. I remember calling my mom in tears. I'm like, I'm out of this house by myself. And I don't. And one of the engineers from AER came and, God bless him, fixed the CD player so I could keep automating the overnights. Oh, I remember. It was, it was very stressful, though. And I remember as a student, my parents were like, why are you so stressed out over this college radio station? Like, who cares? And I was like, I care. I'm responsible for the broadcast license of this radio station. Like, you know, you felt this... You felt the pressure of, you know, of, of everything that you feel in a real job. You felt that responsibility on your shoulders. And I think that it made us who we are, figuring out those kind of problems. Absolutely. You know, and then I think Christmas Day, one of the uh, high schoolers locally, Jake Goldman, was also Jewish. So he and I split Christmas. We each did like 10 hours and then put the overnight automation on. And then I think, uh, but we were so short staffed by the end of the break when Brett had the last third of the break, he had almost nobody left because we burned out these high schoolers, giving them so many hours over Christmas. Yes, they were great. In the spring, they were always raring to go. They were like fresh and new in the spring, their first time being <laughs> on the air. They were so excited. They grew up listening to Z89. But then when you came back to them by Christmas time, they were like, no, dude, I'm busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's WJPZ. At 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence... This is WJPZ at 50. Okay, so back to you and your career path. So, you know, you go to 1079, you're doing the imaging. What's after that? So, yeah, I was full-time there my junior and senior year while I was doing, you know, full-time classes and full-time there. 
But it was great. And then right when I was getting ready to graduate, we were owned by Cox Radio at the time. That was in 99. So you know what was happening in the radio landscape then. The Telecommunications Act was really kicking in. It had been passed a couple of years before, but the actual ownership changes were starting to take place in 99. And all over the country, there was all these ownership flip-flops and swaps going on. Mm -hmm. And it was really kind of a golden time to be working in radio because there were so many job opportunities. Those couple years, as all those stations were changing ownership and things were just, it was like a whole bunch of balls up in the air. And there were just opportunities all over. And I knew I wanted to leave Syracuse. And Cox was selling the stations in Syracuse to Clear Channel, but they were trading in other markets In some markets, you know, Clear Channel was acquiring from Cox and other markets Cox was acquiring from Clear Channel. Mm -hmm. And so Cox had, you know, jobs for me. Basically, I had kind of my choice. I had an offer in Orlando and I had one in Tampa and I had one in Long Island. And so I looked at all three and I decided to go to Orlando because the station was called Party. And that sounded like a lot of fun. (laughs) <laughs> to a 22-year-old, why not? Yeah. Honest to God, that's really why I made the decision. I was 20 years old, you know, so I just, I went to a new sign-on. It was called 95.3 Party. It was a dance, hip-hop, top 40 kind of station. It was rhythmic CHR, but it was different. It was really tailored to the Orlando market, you know, and in a way that only local radio can be back then. It was it was a station that really identified with the Orlando, the Hispanic culture there, the dance culture there, you know, everything about it. And so it was a lot of fun. I was there for, uh, I was with Cox in Orlando for like 10 years. And then I left radio for a while and I ended up in Houston. And then I started back up. I had worked for Cox for so long. They had stations here. I started back up with them and I eventually worked my way back up again to be imaging director of a country station here called 93Q, but not the same 93Q as. That's ironic. Okay. They had three stations here. Cox did. They still do. The classic rock, the Eagle, 93Q country, and then a a classic country. And so I was on air and imaging director there for about 10 years. And then I transitioned away from that. And I was freelancing on my own for um, about two years, just doing imaging production, voiceover work, uh, whatever I could for my home studio. And then I landed this dream job that I have now right where I'm sitting at KRBE here in Houston. It's a cumulus radio station, top 40. Legendary call letters too. We are the top billing individual cumulus station in the country. There you go. That is major market and some major market coin. Yeah. Yeah. Not for me, but <laughs> but no, the station <laughs> does really well. And it's just a really great environment to be. There's very few radio stations left, you know, in the country like this, where we are live and local all day, even nights, seven to midnight. We have live jock in the studios. We're out in the streets every day. We're like in the community and broadcasting live from everywhere all the time. And just, you know, it's a real blessing to be here, to have a full staff and have just the resources that we have in Houston. So I like it. It's really great here. Was there culture shock for a girl from Central Square going to deep in the heart of Texas? Yes, there still is. Like I've lived in Texas now for... 15 years. It's home now. I mean, I've lived here a long time. I love the radio stations that I've worked for here. And, you know, I I love where I live, but I'll never really be a Texan. You know, I still get the, 
where are you from? You don't sound like you're from, you know, I still have my accent, I guess. I never knew I did till I moved here, but. Do they call you a Yankee? Yeah, all the time. Which always, when I was in New Orleans, they'd call me a Yankee. I'd be like, please don't call me that. I'm a Red Sox fan. You could not give me a bigger insult than to call me a Yankee. <laughs> yeah, I get called a Yankee here all the time. But, you know, Houston's a big city. And in a lot of ways, it's like every other big city, just like New York or L.A. or whatever. There's people from all over the world. You know, I mean, it's it's very much a modern city. You know, it's not like, yes, there is a country, you know, cowboy boots and rodeo kind of element to Houston, but it's also, you know, a very diverse modern city. So you've kind of touched on this throughout, Mo, but are there certain things you learned specifically at JPZ that have served you well throughout this long radio career that you've had up until today? Oh, absolutely. I mean, like I said, I really, in some ways, it was just as valuable to me to learn what I did not like, what I did not want to do, you know, and really find my passions at such a young age at JPZ. It was the first place that I ever had to teach anyone anything. And I learned working with those high school students and even at JPZ, the minute you learn something, you pretty much have to turn around and teach it to somebody else. <laughs> that's, that's very true. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, because, you know, there's elections and the staff gets replaced on a, a constant basis. So, you know, the minute you learn something, you pretty much have to turn around and pretend to be an expert at it and teach it to somebody else. And that is a really valuable thing as well to learn. And, you know, to learn that you enjoy that and what you don't enjoy for me was just really important. And you know, being on air there, like I mentioned, I was working at the country station in town. It was a cluster. So they had the adult contemporary, which was Y94 FM. But I didn't work there. And I didn't really know the bosses there. You know, I kind of was in my staying in my lane back. Then. I was 19 years old. And one day I got a call from Jay Nackless, who's another alum. And at that time, Jay was the assistant program director at Y94 FM. He had graduated. He was older than me. And I got a call from him which came by way of Jay Palladino, who's another alum. And he said, I want to hire you to work at Y94 FM on the weekends. He said, I've heard you on the pulse. And I was like, well, that's great. I was like, I already worked there. So you could just put me on the schedule. <laughs> 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 and, and he was like, what do you mean you already? I, so I already worked down the hall at B104. And, you know, I'm, I'm a board op there. But he heard me on the pulse on, on WJPZ. Wow. And wanted me to come on the air at Y94 FM. And so, yeah, I mean, I got tremendous opportunities from, you know, like I said, I never held an executive staff position, but I certainly, you know, for many years, I felt like I learned so much there and took it with me everywhere I went. And like you mentioned, you know, the friendships that we all have from different generations and different classes and the weird way that we tell every our friends and family, that's my friend from school, like Scott was saying, you know, it's a very unique thing. Nobody has what we have there. It's it's really special. And and I feel just really privileged to have, you know, those connections. Are there any other uh, names you haven't mentioned yet that they've made lifelong connections with while you're, we're talking about that? <sighs> it's hard. We all have uh, working in radio. This happens to all of us. You know, our friends are just all over the country and spread out. And so I feel like whenever I'm in a city, you know, I always know somebody because of JPZ. My family and I, we went to Washington, D.C. for a spring break one time. And and just on a whim, you know, I texted Scott McFarlane. I know he's busy. I said, I know you're busy. I'm in town. And like the next day, he was giving me a tour of the Capitol and like, you know, walking oh, wow. me through 
all of the, you know, with a press pass in Washington, D.C. And I was like, this is amazing. So, you know, I feel like, you know, whenever I'm in New York City, I always, you know, Ryan Sampson's a good friend of mine at Sirius. And so, you know, we always spend time together. I feel like, you know, we just have these great connections all over the country. And we all know that, you know, if we need something, we're all we got to do is pick up the phone or shoot a message. And like, you know, we're all there for each other. And it really is such an amazing group. And that's why I've really enjoyed doing the podcast. Thank you for your help and your contributions to the podcast. Mo Cooper, Class of 99. And thanks for being on this episode. Well, thank you for having me on. I really am so honored to be part of this. I really want to thank you for putting this together and the tremendous amount of work that I know has gone into this. You've really created just another living history of the radio station with this. And and it's awesome. Appreciate that, Mo. Take care. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.